In this episode of Breaking Bond, we'll be talking about 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service, starring George Lazenby as James Bond, Diana Rigg as Countess Tracy DiVincenzo, Tally Savalas as Ernst Stavro Blofeld, Gabriel Frizzetti as Draco, Ilsa Steppet as Irma Bunt, directed by Peter R. Hunt, and the screenplay were back to Richard Maybaum. Not Raul Dahl again. Richard Maybaum, back to him. <laughs> but first, a word from our sponsor. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome into Breaking Bond, a 007 binge cast where we'll be diving headfirst into the 007 cinematic universe on a mission to watch every James Bond film ever made. With no first-hand knowledge of the books and little to no experience with the films, we are excited to finally flesh out the missing context surrounding this pop culture icon and see what, if anything, we've been missing. My name is David Z. Robertson. And I'm Bethany Robertson. <laughs> oh, this movie. Oh, this movie. <laughs> this was a good one, I thought. I, and yeah, I enjoyed it. It was finally, like, a nice break from Sean Connery that did not lead me astray. Like, Casino <laughs> Royale. Yeah, but... Where I thought, ooh, a nice break from Sean. Ooh, give me Sean back. Okay, but what... <sighs> Have you been looking for a break from Sean for real, for real? Or were you looking for a break from, like, the same type of ho-hum? Yeah, that one. The second one. Not, <laughs> I don't have anything against Sean Connery. Um, I was really excited to watch him in Dr. No and mm-hmm. thought he was so dreamy. Yeah. Uh, he was just so tall and handsome and mm-hmm. shorty shorts. And, uh... I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's just like the same formula over and over again with like increasing sexism with each movie and I'm just tired of it mm-hmm. by now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ironically, Sean Connery said later, he's like, yeah, he looked talking about this movie, he says, that's the kind of one I would have wanted to be in. Oh. <laughs> that's the, that's the kind of Bond movie I would have wanted to do. So what else? <laughs> uh, who did the screenplay for this? Um, Maybaum, the same guy that did it before. I think he he did, he had a hand in almost all the others, if not all the others. So then except why, for, why couldn't he have written another one like this one? Mm, but you know, I uh, mean, it, they did stick closer to the book in this, mm, in this one than they did on any of the previous movies. I mean, I wonder like if at this point they were getting tired of doing the same formula. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wonder like, I mean, there still was... A little bit of a formula to this one. Right. I mean, there are still many of the same elements to yeah. this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just better. Well, I think there's there's several little things. Um, I think part of that is going to be on the part of the director, mm-hmm. Peter R. Hunt, who edited the last movie. Mm-hmm. And he was an editor on the series before that and, and had edited other entries and had long been promised the director's chair so when he did this one this was like he wanted to be like he wanted it to uh 
look and feel unlike any other Bond movie. Yeah. And I think there's there's something to be said for a guy who was directing, sorry, editing up until this point because it feels like this film is shot to be edited, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like the and he he also said and we're getting a little bit like some of this I'll skip in trivia because I have it written down but um Peter Hunt said that he wanted the cinematography to be such that it still looked good even when it was cropped for television. Mm. Like so he just he had very he had dynamic angles. Mm-hmm. He had dynamic shots that he he filmed in a certain way that they could be edited very dynamically. Yeah. And really make it look great. Like, and you could tell that he sped up a lot of the action, mm-hmm. but it was, it was not nearly as obtrusive as, say, Thunderball. You know yeah. what I mean? Where it looked like, you know, half a dozen, half a dozen guys who were, you know, dreading the oncoming talkies, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe I, I think also a big difference. Um, is just to me, I thought the fight scenes were so much better. Mm-hmm. They were really awesome, especially the opening fight scene. Yeah. Uh, you and I thought that was that was really great. And that, I mean, part of it might be just because it was choreographed better. Mm-hmm. Um, it it might also maybe it's a combination that like uh George Lazenby has a background in fighting, and I don't know if maybe they thought. I mean, part of it could be like just up to the limitations of like a stunt person. It's not necessarily because Sean Connery doesn't have a background in fighting, but I don't mm. know. Maybe they thought, hey, the guy who is going to be Bond in this film has a background in fighting. Let's take advantage of that. Yeah. I, you know, he wanted to do a lot of his own stunts and the insurance didn't really want to let him do it. And hmm. then he broke his arm doing one of the stunts. So mm. yeah. But one of the ways he got the role was they put him in like, they put him in a fight to see how he looked in action. Yeah. And it was a real fight, but he didn't know how to like pull his punches Mm. and like beat the crap out of this guy. Oh. (laughs) Like he broke this guy's nose, I think it was. And they were like, yeah, but he looks really good fighting. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, one of the things about the fight sequences and the choreography or just the shots, um, I feel like it, and correct me if I'm wrong, anyone out there who knows what I'm talking about. But, uh, in filmmaking, there is a rule called the 180 degree rule. And it's a guideline regarding the on-screen spatial relationship between a character and another character or object within the scene. And the camera is always supposed to be on one side of an imaginary axis between two characters. And the first character is always frame right of the second character. And when you cross that line, it just looks, it's very jarring. Hmm. It's very, very jarring to the audience. And a lot of the times in the, in the fight sequences, there were a few parts where I was just like, oh, because <laughs> it's, it, it, they crossed that line and they switched it. Mm-hmm. And it, it was one of those things that like, I would probably have a hard time visualizing it enough if I was directing something. Mm-hmm. I, w- I know I would screw it up and do it, but, and then I would be mad at myself in editing later. I was like, oh, why did I do that? <laughs> but, uh, you know, when Matt and I, and when Matt and I, and then later me and Jason were doing 
by the time I got to doing, we were doing like videos and stuff for YouTube. Mm-hmm. By the time I got to Jason, I was more of a, I was more into directing. Mm-hmm. But when me and Matt were doing stuff, like I was more on the editing side of things a lot of times. And so I can kind of like, I can kind of get that like you, it's sort of like in Suicide Squad, how they like hired that trailer house to come in and edit the film. Mm-hmm. And then like they crossed the 180 rule. Like they are the, that, that invisible axis. Um, and it's just kind of uh, jarring. Yeah. And, but this, when you when you are directing for editing, I guess that is a, a a chance you you run the risk of. But anyway, sorry, that's boring. Um, no. Nope. Mostly though, I think uh, there are probably a lot of people who were not bored by that. <laughs> not you though. You were super bored by it. Um, I was distracted. Uh huh. Which doesn't equate bored. It does when you are actively seeking things to be distracted by. No, I, I was, was looking, watching. You. I was looking through my notes. Dad, Dad is actively. No, I needed to find actively. something. I needed to find something for later. <laughs> that is actively looking for something I to be distracted by. I needed to find by. something for later. <laughs> yes, that is a. That is We're going to start recording this on Skype. <laughs> You can do it from your office and I'll be in the living room. (laughs) That's fine. We can buy another microphone. (laughs) Um, Yeah. All right. (laughs) Like, we're going to have to do this in another room so you can't see me be bored by you. (laughs) Also, I love you. Uh, I I love you too. It has nothing to do with love here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thank goodness thank goodness loving someone doesn't mean you never have to be bored by them it you know is it reminds me of or distracted because of. uh-huh uh <laughs> shortly after jason and i started dc on screen uh my sister Brittany had had listened to uh the man of steel review or started to mm-hmm. and she was like i started to listen to the man of steel review i was like you started to and she was like why were you guys talking about color grading for so long <laughs> If only she knew that was not the only time that would happen. <laughs> I don't think she's ever listened to the show again. She was like, That's yeah, funny. I just can't do it. You guys are talking about color grading. I just can't. Anyway. Um, but there's for sure an audience for that. There is. I mean, just because it was boring to Brittany and hard for her to get through. I mean, I'm sure you had plenty of people listening who were like, yes. I could listen to this for hours. <laughs> Ironically, I'm not one of those. <laughs> um, but it I, is easier. Like, it's less boring to talk about it. Yeah. When you're the one talking. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, the, it, it it was a movie that very... This is a movie that very much looks like it was shot by an editor. And not like mm-hmm. an actual director, but uh, I feel like I felt like it gave it a lot of charm. And uh, speaking of color grading, I think it actually did look better than a lot of it the other Bond movies great. or the last couple, anyway. Yeah, it looked um, really great. Um, also, let's see, did I write this down? Yeah, uh, it was shot in Switzerland, England, and Portugal. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. Shall we get to the synopsis? Let's do it. All right. This is a synopsis uh, that comes to us from Wikipedia because I'm not going to write a synopsis. 
Why would you? It's already there. I know. Don't reinvent the wheel. Don't reinvent it. Unless you're like Michelin or something. <laughs> then you probably should. That's like your, it's your, it's your bag, you know? Read it, please. <laughs> <laughs> James Bond, Agent 007, saves a woman on the beach from committing suicide by drowning and later meets her again in a casino. The woman, Contessa Teresa Tracy de Vicenzo, invites Bond to her hotel room to thank him. But when Bond arrives, he is attacked by an unidentified man who grunts. <laughs> After subduing the man, <laughs> Bond returns to his own room and finds Tracy there, who claims she did not know the attacker was there. The next morning, Bond is kidnapped by several men, including the one he fought, who take him to meet Draco, the head of the European crime syndicate Union Corps. Draco reveals that Tracy is his only daughter and tells Bond of her troubled past, offering Bond one million pounds if he will marry her. Bond refuses, but agrees to continue romancing Tracy if Draco reveals the whereabouts of Ernst Stavro Blofeld, the head of Spectre. All right, so first of all, let's talk about this opening sequence that we get here. Yes. It was great. Uh, well, I mean, the, the, the credit sequence, first off, uh, was a little weird because of all the previous... The, the footage of all the previous movies. Right. To be like, see, this is still James Bond. <laughs> like, they, I felt like they were, like, really kind of, like, <clears throat> pushing that agenda. Yeah. Because they were just like, we know it's not Connery. Yeah. Agenda. Um, But, like, the opening shots where he's, like, driving to the beach and, like, we're not seeing his face. Right. Um. I loved the cinematography. I loved yeah. the shots. It was good. I, I loved the color grading. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Um, we don't have to have, we won't have a conversation with it. Help. Mm-hmm. We won't yeah. have a conversation about color grading on this podcast because I don't know enough about color grading to have a dialogue about it. Right. Um, so. I'll, I'll just say that <laughs> it was, um, I don't know much about it either. I, <laughs> It was not as lush. It was not as saturated mm-hmm. as uh, previous Bond adventures. Um, it begins with, I mean, what, what does it look like? Uh, dusk or, or yeah. dawn or something? Like it's it, one of the, one of the it's two. It's a, yeah, it's a little bit dark. Yeah. It's, it's, but it's like purposefully dark. Yeah. It is, the darks are not, the shadows aren't as dark as you might imagine they would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, man. It just, it, it has a very eerie feel to it. Um, and I just dug it. I love yeah. it. They didn't show his face for so long. Yeah. I loved how like he's uppercutting dudes. It looks like Mortal Kombat. He's like <laughs> uppercutting dudes and they're like flying backwards. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was also just really pretty. It also yeah. it just looked really pretty. Um, yeah. I, I really liked it. And then she, she runs away from him. She takes off. Mm hmm. And he looks at the camera for the first time they break the fourth wall in a Bond franchise film. He looks at the camera and says, this never happened to the other fella. <laughs> How did you feel about that? Because I remember you looked at me like, what the crap? <laughs> um, I was surprised by it, but also loved it. It was yeah. like, well, that's weird. Yeah. But I liked it. Uh-huh. I mean, I I thought it was funny. I... You know, at least they broke the fourth wall to acknowledge 
I'm I'm the same person, but a different person playing him. Right. I liked it. It was very strange. It was strange. It was also weird to break the fourth wall. Well, I guess it's not that weird in a Bond film. They do a lot of weird, cheesy stuff. Make some weird jokes in I think, some of the films. Yeah, I think the... What I liked about it is that it... When you, it, they never break the fourth wall again, really, in this movie. Yeah. But, or it doesn't feel like they do. They, they reference things. It's very referential at, at times. And as, and at times very tongue in cheek. But, uh, this never happened to the other fellow is like perfect for the actual storyline, too, because Bond never fell in love before. Right. Not for real. Like, no, I he, mean, none of this happened. He never had that, like, he never cared. Uh, his, you know, his longest running relationship with the woman who he has any kind of feelings for is Money Penny, mm-hmm. and not even necessarily romantic feelings. We just know he cares about her. Yeah, and he'd never cried in a in a movie before. He yeah. cried in this one. Yeah, this uh, yeah, this movie gave him a lot more humanity. Yeah, than the other ones. I really dug that. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I guess we'll we'll head on with uh with with the plot here. Oh, let me say a couple of sure. uh, nerdy, obsessive, compulsive things. Oh, okay. Okay, this movie is two and a half hours long, uh-huh. making it uh, the longest Bond anything spoof, film, whatever that we have seen so far. Yep. Um, I would have preferred it to be maybe half an hour shorter. Mm-hmm. Two and a half hours is just a really long time. I won't say to watch a movie because... Hello, Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. DC movies, Marvel movies. <laughs> I love the length of those films. Right. <laughs> it's just, I I didn't think, I really enjoyed this movie, mm-hmm. but I didn't like it enough to sit through comfortably two and a half hours without checking to see how much further we had to go. That's fair. Um. Okay, so, and it came out in 1969. Mm-hmm. George Lazenby was 30 years old when he was playing Bond. Yep. That's it. That's pretty young. He was the youngest Bond. <laughs> yeah, and I actually thought he looked older than that. Like, yeah, I think they did too. Yeah, for me, which is which is also kind of weird because he did a little bit of modeling before he did acting, mm-hmm. or before he was cast in this film, at least. I I don't know. Like in the modeling world, you want people to look as young as possible. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe maybe in his 20s he did look a lot younger mm-hmm. who knows but i mean i thought he easily could have passed for like 40 yeah maybe yeah <laughs> maybe i don't think that but well, maybe he definitely looked older than 30 well i mean connery looked way really, older than he was yeah that doesn't really matter it's just my opinion right. stated <laughs> So, Bond returns to London, and after a brief argument with M at the British Secret Service headquarters, where Bond tries to resign, heads for Draco's birthday party in Portugal. There, Bond and Tracy begin a whirlwind romance, for two weeks, roughly, (laughs) and Draco directs the agent to a law firm in Bern, Switzerland. Bond investigates the office of Swiss lawyer Gumbold and learns that Blofeld is corresponding with London College of Arms genealogist Sir Hilary Bray, attempting to claim the title Count Balthasar... Balthazar de Blochamp. Posing as Bray, Bond goes to meet Blofeld, who was established, at, who has established a clinical allergy research institute atop Pise Gloria in the Swiss Alps. Bond meets 12 young women, the angels of death, who are patients at the institute's clinic, apparently cured of their allergies. At night, Bond goes to the room of one patient, Ruby, to seduce her. 
At midnight, Bond sees that the twelve ladies go into a sleep-induced hypnotic state while Blofeld gives them audio instructions for when they return home. In fact, the women are being brainwashed to distribute bacter bacteriological warfare agents throughout the world. Okay. That is diabolical. I know. And it was so cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it really was. Let, let, let's get into some of this. Um, it is off-putting to me. Not just the, 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 uh, not just the, the recasting, mm -hmm. but the, uh, the fact that Blofeld and Bond don't recognize each other. Right. But they stuck too closely to the novel. And it's like one of the big continuity disturbances mm. in the franchise because he, in the books, this happened before You Only Live Twice. Mm. So this was Blofeld's oh. first time meeting Bond. So maybe that's why he doesn't have a scar now? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. yeah. But in You Only Live Twice, even because that movie was drastically changed from the book, mm -hmm. <laughs> he goes after Blofeld in, uh, for revenge. About tra over Tracy. So, uh, help. <laughs> help. But I love, love Telly Savalas as yeah. Blofeld. Yeah, he was good. Love him. <laughs> um, so, yeah. He's um, great. I, and I'd like to go back to uh, when Bond had his meeting with him mm -hmm. and tried to resign, but was asking pretty much Money Penny just orchestrated all of. All of the good stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, she was amazing. And uh, I I really like that for her. Is this the last film that that lady is in who plays her? No. Okay. Um. Does she have one more? Um. I I, know... I, I don't know how many she actually has okay. uh, left. I haven't uh, I haven't really paid attention to it. I haven't gone ahead, jumped ahead because mm -hmm. I didn't want it to like. I try to keep spoiler free as much as I can. Yeah. Well, yeah, so it it was awesome. Uh yeah, Bond tries to retire. He asks Money Penny to like write out a notice for him to give it to him. Mm -hmm. Um she ends up turning it around to that he wants to take vacation. Mm -hmm. Uh he wants to what two weeks vacation yeah. or something. And so uh Bond is like, "Well, how did he take it?" And and you know, M is just like, "Oh, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. You can uh just just take some vacation time and blah blah blah." And uh I think Bond is actually relieved uh mm -hmm. that he can just take some vacation time because he doesn't want to stop um doing that kind of work yet. And then M ends up saying, "Oh, Miss Moneypenny, thank you." What would you I do would, without you? What yeah. would I do without you? But then Bond says the same thing to yeah. her. What would I do without you? Both of them know exactly what went down. Yeah. Like, M knows that he quit. Yep. And she just lied about it. Yep. All uh, right. Yeah, that I love was great. It. That was fantastic. I love it. And I even go Moneypenny. Absolutely. And I enjoyed like this is like one of apparently two times that we see his actual office, like mm. Bond's office. Yeah. And he goes to his desk and pulls out like it was very disorienting for me <laughs> yeah and he like he it was just like oh i'm gonna pull out the garot wristwatch oh from, yeah from yeah russia and then oh, here's the briefcase from russia yeah. and here's the yeah it, that was all cool that, yeah, was, that was cool that was just like oh neat okay cool um here are all my old memories <laughs> they are death weapons <laughs> 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 yep, and I, but I loved when he got to uh, when he got to um, Blofeld's fortress or whatever. Yeah, the research institute. Yes, 
Yes. And everything leading up, like uh, um, Bond and Lady. I'm... Tracy? No, not Tracy. The lady who was like taking him there. Bunt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that was amazing. Just like traveling up the mountain and oh, yeah. just all of that scenery. It was it was great. Yep. It was great. That was really cool. Yeah. Um I I really liked I know it's cheesy. I liked all the, the, the different girls. Sure. And how like into Bond they were. Yep. Um calling him Hilly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that the, like, the one girl like wrote her room number on the inside of his thigh. Oh my gosh. That was really funny. That was so scandalous. That was scandalous. And then <laughs> <laughs> and then they were like, oh, what's wrong with you? He's like, oh, just a bit of a sniffness coming on. Oh <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> um, and then like the the... All of the the psychological crap where he's like reading to them all these weird things, you know, the hypnotizing things like that was really creepy yeah. and uh, was interesting. I enjoyed yeah. all of it. I just, I, yeah, I loved all of it. Like everything in that research institute, I loved all of it. Mm-hmm. I loved like when they're all in that big main room when all of the girls are in there. Um, I don't know, the common area, whatever. Yeah. Uh, that space was incredible. <laughs> mm-hmm. I loved seeing that layout. I loved seeing um, just how everything was furnished. I mean, it was just all so very 60s, and I loved it so much. Yep. I loved seeing what all of the women were wearing, their different hairstyles. Um, and then, yeah, just like the really super 60s, like... Um, brainwashing kind of stuff. But it wasn't 60s, though, either. It was like, it was that, like, magical cusp of the 70s <laughs> look where, like, everything looked a little more mature. Yeah. Everything looked a little more grody. Everything looked a little <laughs> more dingy. Yeah. Uh, than it did in the 60s. Like, you still had, like, the, the 60s color palette to some degree. Yeah. But it was darker and dingier as if it had become faded with time. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it exactly other than, like, if you've ever seen, like, the difference between Star Trek, the original series, and, like, Space 1999, where it's just like, yeah, everything's just a little... <laughs> A little grosser, you yeah. know, like it, it's, it's almost there in the, in the third season of the, of the original Star Trek series where mm-hmm. it's just like everything's just a tad cheaper looking somehow. Yeah. Even though like things look a little more expensive. <laughs> it's like more expense to production models, less expense in actually creating the thing. <laughs> Here's giant sideburns, by the way. <laughs> Everyone's hair is a bit thicker than it should be. Yeah. Um, everyone, you know, is a little, you know, pudgier than possibly they should have been at some point. Like, suddenly, <laughs> so, you know, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but that's how it feels. Yeah. Uh, Do you, so here's uh, just my irrational uh, trying to figure out the logistics as though this movie is real. Uh <laughs> <laughs> So do you think that uh, structure, that building house type thing, the Institute, was it there and then Blofeld purchased it? Or 
do you think he had it constructed? Because that must have been a butthole and a half. I mean, I think some of it was constructed, <laughs> but they said in the movie, mm-hmm. now I don't know if it was real or not, but they said in the movie it was like, I think it was a resort that he converted. Oh, okay. That makes that makes sense because then they also had uh, like that tram or whatever uh-huh. leading up to it. And uh-huh. that, I mean, I know, I know Blofeld has the money to fund all of that, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's more than just a matter of like getting the permits you need to build a house, <laughs> you know, like now you're uh, getting permission to like, build something that only has one way to get to it and, mm-hmm. and then you have to build the thing that take yeah i don't know yeah i just by the way wrote some <laughs> head cannon in my while you were saying that so <laughs> when you were like i know blofeld has the money i just heard like maude lebowski from the big lebowski <laughs> be like oh father has no money of his own it's all mothers <laughs> <laughs> which now really makes me want to see like if Blofeld is married, I would love to see what kind of wife he has. Yeah, I want her to be, like, the real power behind Spectre. She's yeah. just like, mm, no, yeah. we're or, doing this. Or his mom, and he's just, like, severely a mama's boy. Right. <laughs> and Spectre is, like, his way of rebelling or something. Like, no, I want to be a leader. My, my... I want to be evil. <laughs> Because <laughs> his mom is so mean to him. Right now, I'm head cannoning that that uh, <laughs> that uh, Blofeld's mother is the head of Spectre for real, for real, mm-hmm. and has made various clones of her of her son. Oh, that's why some of them look different. Uh-huh. Some of them have scars. Some of you I know. Some of you I'm meeting for the first time. Right, right. <laughs> And, but every Blofeld is just like such a genius that he needs a nemesis, so she keeps cloning different <laughs> James Bonds. No, no, that's dumb. That would, no, that's that's awesome. real dumb. <laughs> <laughs> like MI6 is all in on it. It's just like, yep, they don't know. They that's don't know. That's awesome. Of course. That's great. They've all got the little men in black flashers that you, they, <laughs> like, this is James Bond. Okay, cool. Mm. I remember that guy. No, you don't. Anyway, uh, back to the actual plot. <laughs> Bond tries to trick Blofeld into leaving Switzerland so that MI6 can arrest him without violating Swiss sovereignty. Blofeld refuses and Bond is eventually caught by henchwoman Irma Bunt. Blofeld reveals that he identified Bond after his attempt to lure him out of Switzerland and tells his henchman to take the agent away. Bond eventually makes his escape by skiing down Piz Gloria while Blofeld and his men give chase. Arriving at the village of Lauterbrunnen, Bond finds Tracy and they escape Bunt and her men after a car chase. A blizzard forces them into a remote barn where Bond professes his love to Tracy and proposes marriage, which she happily accepts. The next morning as the chase continues, Blofeld sets off an avalanche. Tracy is captured while Bond is buried but manages to escape. I really like the barn scene. Yeah. I don't like the chase sequences ever. Like, I'm never interested in them. I just, yeah. I just don't care. They always seem to last longer than necessary. They do. It's the same problem I have with like Jason Bourne movies, mm-hmm. where I'm just like, it's like you just had 20 minutes of shaky cam and people running around <laughs> in cars and things, and I just don't care. Yeah. And in this case, it's like kind of shaky cam with like projections on you know behind cars and i don't care (laughs) yeah um i also thought the barn scene was cute yeah i liked it yeah it 
did, I don't, I don't remember this part very well. I know, like, toward the end of it. So, like, they're sleeping separately. Mm-hmm. And then Bond, like, kicks whatever, like, structure or, like, the platform or whatever. Right. Like, so, so the thing falls and she rolls on top of him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Did they allude to, like, them having sex? I thought that was the indication, yeah. Okay. Well, um, I was going to say, like, all of that was just... I guess like before the start, the before the part where they start making out mm-hmm. and likely having sex, all of it just seemed like really sweet and innocent and not very uh, Sean Connery Bond yeah esque because we have seen a different kind of Bond scene from him. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I liked it. It was nice. Yeah, I mean, it's James Bond, so the seven is going to go into the double O, if you know what I mean. Oh, jeez. But (laughs) they were like, oh, yes, this is true love, because he's like, he pretended for half a second they weren't going to sleep together. (laughs) It's the longest he's ever gone without having sex. (laughs) (laughs) Just the barn sequence. In a barn. <laughs> you know it's true love because they both consent to kissing. Uh-huh. <laughs> you have to have sex in a barn scene. You know why? Because, hey. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, that is amazing and awful. <laughs> Back in London at M's office, <laughs> Bond is informed that Blofeld intends to hold the world at ransom by threatening to destroy his agriculture using his brainwashed women. <laughs> that lot, that that. I sentence, know that's so ridiculous. Demanding amnesty for all past crimes and that he be recognized as the current Count de Blochamp. M tells 007 that the ransom will be paid and forbids him to mount a rescue mission. Bond then enlists Draco and forces to and his forces to attack Blofeld's headquarters while also rescuing Tracy from Blofeld's captivity. The facility is destroyed and Blofeld escapes the destruction alone in a bobsleigh while Bond with Bond pursuing him. The chase ends with Blofeld uh when Blofeld becomes snared in a tree branch and injures his neck. Bond and Tracy marry in Portugal then drive away in Bond's Aston Martin. When Bond pulls over to the roadside to remove flowers from the car, Blofeld, wearing a neck brace, and Bunt commit a drive-by shooting of the couple's car. Bond survives, but Tracy is killed in the attack. How sad. How sad. Um, so, I really loved... Uh, I liked everything but Tracy getting uh, kidnapped, and apparently that wasn't a thing that was in the novel. Huh. Um, but... That was fine. That was okay. Uh, I just, I, I don't particularly love the chasings, but, um, I did enjoy watching that place get blown up. That was sad for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bobsled was a bit much. Um, that whole sequence was a little... That was too long. It was. And it was awful and very unrealistic, unbelievable. Uh-huh. Uh, but I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so ridiculous. It was. It was just pretty rough. Just so completely ridiculous. It was and, funny, though. Yeah, and it was, oh, God, it's just so outlandish. Like, when you think of exactly what that was, mm-hmm. it is a man 
who was holding the world ransom. Uh-huh. He was threatening the world. He had just... All right, Norm. <laughs> Norm MacDonald. Germany decided to go to war with the world. Uh, he had brainwashed these women. I, you know, like this whole plan. Okay, so super duper bad guy, head of Spectre, a really bad organization. Uh-huh. Is in a bobsled. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's not just him. <laughs> it's Agent 007, who's like maybe the best of the best in his organization. In a bobsled. He's also in a bobsled. Yeah. And and somehow like like ends up catching up to Blofeld enough. Yeah. Uh, but they like fighting and falling off of the thing and holding yeah, on. And, yeah, just holding. Yeah. Bond is like holding on to the back of Blofeld's bobsled, being dragged for a minute. And yeah, oh my gosh! And I just kept thinking of Cool Runnings the whole time. I, dude, I, I've seen Olympics. Feel man. the rhythm. You you can't. There's there's no way that you could do with all that <laughs> on a bobsled, man. Yeah, and I mean just the just the part of like Bond catching up to him. I mean, you can go a little bit faster depending on like your weight mm-hmm. and like how you take each turn yeah but i mean like you can't i don't know i that whole that whole thing was ridiculous but like i said at the same time i kind of loved it yep and just like those weird cuts uh, i mean like what are you gonna show like okay let's cut to blofeld so we can remind the audience what he's doing okay he's still in a bobsled okay let's cut back to <laughs> 007 so we can remind the audience what he's doing okay still in a bobsled <laughs> Yep. <laughs> There's just not much you can do there. <laughs> yep. It was oh, interesting. God. Yeah, it was so weird. So, the wedding scene. But now I want to ride in a bobsled. I don't. But, like, not as fast. I, I don't at all. I have no, <laughs> like, I don't think I could get, like, on the ground like that. <laughs> it is, it is just, like, inches off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, the wedding. The wedding. The wedding. Uh, man, Money Penny got me in the feels. Aww. When she was like sad that he was getting married. I know. Bless her heart. And then he like throws her the hat. Aww. Like for that alone, I wish Connery had done this movie. Yeah. So are we to assume? Because we won't really ever find out at this point. Do you think Bond? retired because he got married or like do you think that's what his plan was that he was going to get married and probably take some time off for his honeymoon and to start his marriage and do you think he was going to retire after that yeah and that's maybe also why money penny was crying partially yeah but uh, you know you get the idea that she always loved him anyway right um yeah man i i don't i yeah he it, it was pretty it seemed pretty clear in in the barn mm-hmm. and then subsequently in the car when they were talking about how he, they had all the time in the world, et cetera. Yeah. Um, before she's she's killed, and then he keeps saying it after she's killed. Oh, my gosh, that was rough. Yeah. That was rough. That was really sad. And, again, just humanizes him so much more than the previous films have. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, did he... No, answered my own question, and I'm not even going to ask it now. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. But, yeah, that was... That was really sad and good good for him for 
getting to a point in his character mm-hmm. where he fell in love with a woman and proposed to her and went through and actually married her and then was excited about being married to someone and was heartbroken when she was murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, also, good for him for uh, turning down that money to marry her and then he actually ended up wanting to marry her anyway. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. These are these are big. These are big steps for James. Character steps, buddy. I imagine they'll all be like, erased with Roger Moore, Probably but. so. Like you're not so much a sex <laughs> maniac anymore, but only in this film. Yeah. If if not with Sean Connery in the next movie, <laughs> then I imagine with Roger Moore at the very least. Yeah. All right. So, do you think this is a good introduction to James Bond? I do. I do too. Um, yeah, I really do. Especially like if this is the first Bond film you watch, um, uh, it's kind of gonna go downhill from here. Um, <laughs> to some degree, <laughs> I guess, depending Maybe. on which films you watched after this. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. This is if this is the first one you watch, this is a great start. Mm-hmm. I thought so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I assume based on this movie, you would want to keep watching the franchise. Yes. Good. Yes, absolutely. Oh, also wanted to say I enjoyed the theme uh, and the score in this film, and shout out to Louis Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've got some trivia about that guy. Okay. Um. Yeah, I really liked the music in this one, and yeah. I've got some trivia about the music we'll get to. Um. Would you recommend this movie to anyone you love? I sure would. Well, good. <laughs> Thank you. Um. Did you like... Uh, I know George Lazenby as Bond. I did. Did you like anybody else, or did, what did you think of Telly Savalas? I liked him. Did you like him more than Donald Pleasance? Hmm. I don't. I don't know. See the the biggest difference for me is the scar. Uh huh. I like Blofeld so much more with a scar, mm-hmm. but that isn't really dependent on an actor, right? Um. I don't know. I don't know if I liked him better. Uh, I am really glad that they gave that poor baby kitty a break in this one. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine it would have been a different cat anyway. I hope so. I hope they're not just traumatizing the same poor baby over and over again. Mm -hmm. They're spreading it out. (laughs) Do you have any favorite quotes? (laughs) Um, We have already covered... Some of my favorite quotes uh, in the beginning when Lazenby's Bond says, well, this this didn't happen to the other guy. Yeah, this um, never happened to the other fellow. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, and then just uh, M and Bond both saying, what would I do without you to mm-hmm. Money Penny? See, you write down stuff like, what would I do without you, Money Penny? I write down stuff like... Guy gets pulled into a snowblower, spews red blood, and go- and Bond says he had a lot of guts. <laughs> Dude, I laughed so hard. That was great, though. I that laughed was great. so hard and clapped. Um, I love when Draco says, my apologies for the way you were brought here. I wasn't sure you'd accept a formal invitation. Bond says, there's always something formal about the point of a pistol. That's pretty great. I like that line a lot. Um... I already talked about the slight stiffness coming on. Oh, God. Um, now, see, I love this, too. I love this. Like, you have a scene where Tracy is talking to Blofeld, and she says, Thy dawn, O master of the world, thy dawn. For thee, the sunlight creeps across the lawn. For thee, the ships are drawn down to the waves. For thee, the markets throng with myriad slaves. For thee, the hammer on the anvil rings. For thee, the poet of beguilement sings. And Peter Hunt had brought screenwriter Simon Raven onto the project. 
uh, to write scenes between uh, Tracy and Blofeld. Mm-hmm. And apparently it was to make the dialogue better and sharper and more intellectual. And he took the, he adapted. Doom Patrol! Nice! We Sorry, just... I just got a notification from TV Time on my phone saying that Doom Patrol is starting now. <laughs> Season 2! <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so this Raven guy had adapted a stanza from a play by James Elroy Flecker from Hassan, the story of Hassan of Baghdad and how he came to make the golden journey to Samarkand. I love that you get that beautiful uh, little poem. Yeah. But then you also have Tracy in the same movie after her car getting a few rear end collisions goes, I hope my big end will stand up to this. <laughs> like you can't, you, like, that's just, you, I, both sides of me are being fed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I loved Blofeld telling Tracy, now if you're very, very nice to me, I could make you my countess. She says, but I'm already a countess. And he says, whereas if you displease me, I can promise you a very different estate. Oh, girl. Girl, I do love that. I love that. Um, Tracy at some point tells Bond, you're very sure of yourself, aren't you? Suppose I were to kill you for a thrill. Bond says, I can think of something more sociable to do. I love that. Love that. Oh, I did put down that. Well, no, I didn't. He says money. Bond says money, pity. What would I do without you? But she says, my problem is that you never do anything with me. <laughs> <laughs> A great exchange. <laughs> I liked this one. Uh, Q says, look, James, I know that we haven't always seen exactly well. Anyway, don't forget if there's ever anything you need. Bond says, thank you, Q, but this time I've got the gadgets. And he looks at Tracy and says, and I know how to use them. <laughs> oh, oh, you nasty, Bond, you nasty. Yikes. Um, and, of course, the last lines as Tracy's been shot, he says, yeah. it's all right. It's, it's quite all right, really. She's having a rest. We'll be going on soon. There's no hurry, you see. We have all the time in the world. And I love that shot. I didn't yeah. talk about her. I love that shot of the bullet hole through the window. Yeah. Uh, book ending the film because mm. at the beginning you see, you see, you know, of course the standard, uh, barrel of the gunshot and then Bond turning and shooting mm-hmm. and then to end it with the bullet through the glass having yeah. killed his wife. Ah. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was great. That was, uh, putting in some, drama and emotion that has not been in the other films Mm -hmm. that was really good dug it i mean we we all had to assume that something would happen because james bond just i don't think of him having a wife for a long amount of time you know Mm -hmm. i mean like i figured something was going to happen (laughs) but they they still did a really good job what was your favorite scene okay my favorite scene um, was like anything in the research institute. Okay. Just, That's always your favorite scene is anything in the, in the secret layer is I always know. your favorite. Maybe it should have been like an architect or something. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe, but yeah, like I, I just, I loved all of that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I discussed it before. Or an interior I, decorator. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I loved just seeing the layout. Yeah. Um, 
just the furniture, the design, the different hairstyles and clothing and all of that was awesome. Yeah. I loved it. Uh, my favorite scene was the first scene, the main, the, the, the beach yeah. fight. The, That's the, a good one. The, the, the car, the, just everything, the cinematography was gorgeous. Uh, I loved all of that. I thought it was really cool. Uh, what was your least favorite scene? Um, my least favorite scene was, um, the ski chase. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) It was just so long. It was very long and it was the worst of the chase sequences, I think. Yeah, it was weird, man. You know, like at least with the bobsled chase, it was Mm -hmm. funny. That one was also too long and it was completely ridiculous, but it was still funny. Yeah. Because they're in a dang bobsled. Mm Mm-hmm. But just skiing down a mountain? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't care. <laughs> what do you hope to see going forward? Um, What I would have loved to have seen is more Lazenby as Bond. Yeah, me too. But, I mean, going into it, he already knew that he just wanted to do this one thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was some stuff going on. Okay. But... Okay. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've cleansed my palate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, I will feel better about watching the next Connery. The ne- what is the next one that we're watching? Diamonds are forever. Okay, is that Connery's last one uh, for a while? Is his last one until eighty three? Okay, all right. Well, that'll probably help a lot. I don't know anything about that one, guys. So I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's your favorite one. I don't know if it's your least favorite one. I. I don't know. What I don't know matter? anything. It only about matters what, to... what you think. <laughs> I don't know anything about what to expect with that right. one. Um, I can only hope that it's better than um, Thunderball and some of our other less favorite films. Um, I don't know. what. Also, what I would like to see going forward is more steps away from the formula. Yeah, which I don't think we're going to get, honestly. I don't either. I think we're going to get deeper into the formula. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would have liked to have seen more Lazenby, honestly. Yeah? Uh, yeah. I, I I don't think he was a bad actor. Uh, we we had some feedback saying he was wooden. I don't agree. I thought he did pretty well. I, yeah, I liked him. Uh, you know, so I thought he had. There seemed to be more ticking behind his eyes than what I've seen with Connery in a lot of it. Yeah. So. Well, it, it almost seems like Connery became comfortable with mm-hmm. the formula, and so it just almost seems. Sometimes, like, he's just going through the motions because he knows what's happening. Yeah. You know, like, he wasn't really pushed or challenged after a while. It was yeah. just, like, the same old thing. Mm-hmm. It was just, like, you you go into work and you know that, like, like, okay, when I worked at Subway, I got really sick of just doing the same thing every single day. Like, all right, well, I know that this is going to happen at 8 a.m. Yeah. I know this is going to happen at 9 I know we're going to have a rush, and then probably around 2.30, I'm going to restock the chips, and then uh, we're going to bake more bread, and then I'm going to leave. You know, Mm -hmm. like, it was just, it was just almost, like, the exact same thing every day at the same time. And it just, it just almost seems sometimes, like, that's what Connery is doing. Like, all right. Well, he also developed a pretty contentious relationship with the producers. Yeah. Uh, so, what, what rating are you going to give this movie? I give this one 3.5 Bob Flood chases out of five. I give it 3.5 golden balls out of five. <laughs> That's right. We didn't talk about that. Dude, does he have three balls? Four balls. It four. Was four. That's balls. right. <laughs> it was four balls. That is so weird. I, I think, yes, that is the indication that they gave. That's really weird. 
It is. Oh, Hilly. Now, now Br'er Brett, uh, on our Facebook group, our Breaking Bond Facebook group, you can come and join us. And we, there's a lot of conversation <laughs> going on. Uh, some without us, honestly, because we just yeah, we can't great. do it all. Um, Please join us. Our, yeah, our... It has, I feel like it is like I was going to make an announcement this, this week and say, I'm sorry if we didn't get to your feedback. There's a lot of feedback and we're not like, we don't have like a huge listener base, but we get a lot of feedback. And it's awesome. And yes, I love that there is conversation that doesn't even involve us. Yeah. So thank you to everyone who was a part of that group. And thank you for leaving feedback, for asking questions. Just, you know, I think it's great. Absolutely. So uh, let's talk about our ranking. Okay. Yes. Because Br'er Brett over in the Facebook group. This really shakes things up. It does. (laughs) Br'er Brett says, prediction, if the next movie doesn't become your favorite, it will become your second favorite. And I struggled. Yeah. I really struggled because I was like, do I like it better than Dr. No? Do I like it better than Goldfinger? And I just, I fought and I, and I, and it was a tussle. It, I struggled with, do I like it better than Goldfinger? Mm-hmm. I knew that I definitely did not like it better than Dr. No. Well, I, I didn't consider Dr. No at first. I was just like, oh no, that one's gonna, that one's gonna stay. And the, the further I got away from having watched it, the more I was like thinking back on it more and more positively. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, Maybe. <laughs> so here's where I landed. Okay. Dr. No is still number one for me. Yeah. And the big upset is On Her Majesty's Secret Service now replaces Goldfinger. I know. Goldfinger, Dr. No and Goldfinger have been number one and two for a long time. They have. So congratulations, Laz and me. Woohoo! Uh, Peter R. Hunt. So, and then number three is Goldfinger. Four, From Russia with Love. Five, You Only Live Twice. Six, Thunderball. And, of course, number seven. Doo-doo Royale. Casino, <laughs> Casino Royale, 67. Um, Mine is really similar. Uh-huh. Um, and it, yeah, Br'er Brett, you called it. And even when I read your prediction, I was like, it's not my favorite. My, or my second favorite, but no, dude, you're you're right. It it has become a second favorite. So Doctor No is number one. Mm-hmm. Number two on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Number three, Goldfinger. Number four, I'm gonna say You Only Live Twice. Okay. And number five is From Russia. Six, Thunderball. Seven, Doodoo Royale. <laughs> you could just call it Casino Royale. You don't have to call it Doodoo Royale. <laughs> I have to be true to my character, David. Oh, this is who I am in real life. <sighs> you know I say this. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll just keep watching shows like River Crap. Stop. <laughs> it's just like, well, back to the salt mines. Gotta watch Riverdale again. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into some trivia. Gotta watch Crap Spot. <laughs> Gotta watch Crap List. That's blind spot and blacklist. Yeah. I don't like either show, but I've already invested so much that I've got to keep watching. I think you could probably invest in figuring out some more clever titles instead of just saying doo doo and crap in front of everything. That's my brand. (laughs) I'm being consistent. Ooh, I could bring in caca. (sighs) That might shake things up a little bit. All right. are looking at me like you love me and hate me. (laughs) 
Or maybe it was <laughs> your facial expression is more of like a sense of awe and wonder of like, how do I keep loving her and I can't stop loving her? That, no. Oh, okay. Not that part. Not the how can I stop. No. Um, <laughs> I love you very much. <laughs> love you too. <laughs> but you knew this about me before we got married. Oh, absolutely. It wasn't, it wasn't a surprise. We dated for like 10 years. Yeah. You didn't spring anything on I, me. I mean, is there, I don't even know if after dating for that long, if there was anything we could have even sprung on each other. I There weren't many secrets uh-uh. that we discovered. Mm-mm. Anyway. All right, let's get some <laughs> trivia. Uh, this movie, they they lowered the the budget from nine million to seven million. Mm. Seven million, it made eighty two million. Mm. Uh, so the net profit margin was ninety one point four six percent. The net profit was uh seventy five million. Profit percentage one thousand seventy one point forty three percent. So still a pretty great profit, yeah. but not as high as the other ones. Mm hmm. And I guess I'll talk a little bit about it in a little bit, but this movie was considered to be a flop at the time. Wow. It totally was. It made like over 10%. Sorry, over 10 times what what their budget was. Like, it was not a flop. But it's just like, it's interesting mm-hmm. to see that the same thing was happening, the same like skewed perception was happening back then that's happening now. Yeah. Like, if a superhero movie doesn't make a billion dollars, doesn't make right. like in-game level money, everyone's like, it was a flop! Yeah. Or or if people just, uh, dare I bring up Batman vs. Superman? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it made close if, to 900 million. Yeah. And like, they're like, it was a flop! Just because people didn't like it. Like, movies... Some people didn't. Yeah. Some people, like me, think it's their favorite superhero movie. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I also liked it. Um, and I'll even say this, which is a very unpopular opinion that people will not appreciate. I Some will. I liked BVS better than I liked Civil War. I did too. And I'm not... I, I also always say, like, I get frustrated when people are constantly comparing Marvel to DC movies and mm-hmm. vice versa. Um, I guess I'm just using that comparison because both movies had a lot of similar qualities. Yes. And they came out very close to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I'm saying that. But yeah, um, oh yeah, I was like, why did I bring this up in the first place? Um, just because a lot of people don't like a movie doesn't mean you can just say that it was a flop. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> it made lots and lots of money. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, during filming at uh, Piz Gloria, the cast and crew received their per diems in cash. And Telly Savalas saw George Lazenby with a suitcase full of cash. <laughs> And he invited him to a late night poker game. Oh my god! That he regularly held with crew members, and oh, it wasn't baccarat. Very, very, yeah, very quickly relieved Lazenby of having to carry so much extra <gasps> weight. Oh no! And upon hearing of this, producer Harry Saltzman or Saltzman uh, visited the location, joined the game over Sabalas's protest, and won back Lazenby's money. And then told Sabalas in no uncertain terms that he was not to victim- victimize his boy again. <laughs> Yep. Ah, uh, that's great. Uh, it says there are many reasons why Lazenby only made one appearance as James Bond, according to the DVD documentary. 
here are some of the main reasons. One, Lazenby's youthful cockiness rankled uh, Albert R. Broccoli's nerves. Huh. One incident mentioned is Lazenby skiing down the slopes on his own, and that resulted in him breaking his arm. Uh. And a moment of arrogance on Lazenby's part that spoiled a cast and crew party. Two, the notoriously harsh British tabloids writing up unfavorable stories about Lazenby and how he fails to measure up to Connery, thereby <clears throat> thereby swaying public opinion against the movie before it was released. Yeah, that'll really discourage a person. Yep. One incident cited by Lazenby was during an interview with a reporter in the commissary in which uh, Diana Rigg, that was Tracy, jokingly yelled from across the room, I'm having garlic for lunch, darling. I hope you are too. <laughs> this led to an article where they claimed that Rigg hated Lazenby so much that she eats garlic before love scenes. Oh, jeez. Three, Lazenby uh, believed that the Bond film franchise was over in the wake of more sophisticated movies like The Graduate and Easy Rider, and the tuxedo-clad secret agent was out of touch with the newly liberated 1970s. He mentioned to his agent that he wasn't sure if he wanted to play Bond again, even before this movie was released. Wow. The producers heard this and were none too pleased. Lazenby had been offered a seven-movie oh, deal. Oh, my God. And had signed a letter of intent to star in Diamonds Are Forever. Jeez. He had even been paid an initial fee installment, which he later refunded. Wow. Uh, and some claim this movie was a box office failure, but it was, in fact, a huge hit. Yeah. Um, ten times its cost. So. Jeez. It was the second highest grossing movie of the year at the worldwide box office. I wonder how things would have been different if Lazenby would have gone through with the seven movies. Well, we wouldn't have had Roger Moore. <laughs> That's crazy. We wouldn't have had... There's some... Well, there's... I can tell you some. We would have... Uh, Peter R. Hunt would have come back to direct uh, mm-hmm. the sequel because um, before Lazenby quit, it like they planned on ending this movie with him driving off Tracy and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then the next movie was going to begin with Blofeld and Bunt killing Tracy wow. the same way they did in this movie and then him going after them. So, mm. but because he left, Peter R. Hunt left. Yeah. You know, there's some alternate universe where he did go through with all of those films. Oh, yeah. And I want, I would want to see what those films are like compared to the ones that we have in this universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too. Uh, Lazenby suggested a scene where Bond skis off of a cliff and opens a parachute. That was scrapped because they didn't have the resources to pull it off. Aww. But they used it as the opening for The Spy Who Loved Me in 1977. Oh, neat. That sounds cool. Yep. Probably would have made it a little less boring. <laughs> uh, so Lazenby or Bond passes a janitor in Draco's headquarters and uh, the janitor is whistling the, the Goldfinger theme. Nice. I didn't notice that. Yep. That's super cool. Uh, This is one of the most faithful adaptations of an Ian Fleming novel. Virtually everything in the book occurs in the movie. Staying so close to the source actually caused some continuity problems due to the different order of the movies. For example, in this movie, James Bond and Blofeld seem to be meeting for the first time, despite having met face-to-face in the movie version of You Only Live Twice. Some details are different. Count Bloville is changed to Count Blochamp, and Ruby Windsor became Ruby uh, Ruby Barrett. The situations of Bond's taking a leave of absence and his discovery of Blofeld are different. Tracy is not kidnapped. Blofeld is completely different in appearance from Telly Savalas, being described as having long, silvery white hair. Hmm. Uh, what is a, an aquiline? What is that word? Aquil- aquiline nose? Uh, I don't know. Aquiline? I have to know what this word means. <laughs> 
I meant to look it up earlier and I didn't. I am a crappy host. Hey, like an eagle. I've never heard that word before. Me either, man. That is so such hooked, curved. A hooked nicer shirt. way of saying bird nose. <laughs> anyway, so a uh, bird-like nose, a wrinkled forehead, a slender body, a nostril that has been eaten away by tertiary syphilis. Oh my gosh! And no earlobes. Oh jeez. Savalas's Blofeld has none of these features. He doesn't even have a European accent. However, <laughs> uh, his nostrils haven't been eaten away by syphilis, and he doesn't even have an accent. Yeah. However, his earlobes were clipped oh. back to serve a plot element. Uh, the producers originally intended to explain the change of lead actors in this movie by saying that mm. Bond had undergone plastic surgery because his old face was now too well known by foreign spies and terrorists for him to go undercover. But they then decided not to refer to the change at all and thus hopefully min- to thus hopefully minimize, minimize, minimize the public <laughs> attention being paid to Lazenby's replacing of Connery. However, of course, then, a- then after the opening sequence, he, openly addresses it to the audience so i I, what was the point yeah give him plastic surgery yeah i I think that would have been cool and make sense yep the theme we we have all the time in the world was the last thing that louis armstrong ever recorded oh he died two years later it was also the first theme song in the film franchise not to include the movie's title as part of the lyrics Hmm. connery later said he would have preferred to do a bond movie like this one as opposed to you only live twice Oh, you know, that's also really, sorry, (laughs) that's also really eerie that the theme is we have all the time in the world. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. Of course. And then Louis died two years later. Mm -hmm. Sad. This is the last time that John Barry's original Dr. No arrangement of the James Bond theme would be used on screen. It would, however, continue to be used in trailers, etc. as late as License to Kill in 89. Hmm. According to Lazenby, he and a crew member played a prank on Angela Scowler, who played Ruby, the Bond girl who writes her room number on the inside of James Bond's bare thigh. The crew member warmed a sausage and they put it under Bond's kilt. (gasps) When she put her hand under the kilt, she is ever the professional and hardly reacts. Oh my gosh, that's disgusting. Yep. (sighs) Cancel Lazenby. (laughs) Wow. Having secured a suit ordered but uncollected by Sir Sean Connery and getting a Rolex and haircut like him, George Lazenby talked his way into a meeting with producer Albert R. Broccoli, producer Harry Saltzman, and director Peter R. Hunt. After bluffing his way through the meeting and falsely claiming he had wide acting credits, he secured a screen test. Lazenby then confessed to Hunt that he had made it all up and that he wasn't an actor. (laughs) Hunt laughed and told him, you just strolled in here and managed to fool two of the most ruthless bastards in the business. You're an actor. Wow. (laughs) He did have a little bit of acting experience, according to IMDb. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had done some commercials. Yeah. Um, IMDb says uh, uh, his only film experience was a bit part in a 1965 Italian-made Bond spoof. Mm-hmm. Which I'm really interested in checking out. Yeah. Have any of you guys watched it? Do you know what that is? What the Italian-made Bond spoof is? Yeah, I'm curious. I'd like to watch it just to see him in it. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Unless it's like Casino Royale. Yeah. I don't want to see that kind of Bond spoof ever again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's great, man. So, I mean, it sounds like he really wanted that role and like he was fighting for it. Yep. Uh, He apparently... 
<laughs> he went to the same tailor and barber that worked with Connery. So when he showed up at uh, Broccoli and Saltzman's production offices, he looked more like Connery. Um, and he, Broccoli was even present at the barbershop when Lazaby showed up for the haircut. Yeah, that's awesome. Coincidentally. But, uh, yeah, totally got him the role. That's great. While cracking open a safe in the Swiss lawyer's office, James Bond reads a copy of Playboy magazine. This is a nod to the fact that On Her Majesty's Secret Service first appeared in Playboy. It was uh, the first of Ian Fleming's James Bond novels to be serialized in the magazine, appearing in the May 1963 issue. It was followed by a serialized shortened version of the novel You Only Live Twice in the April 1964 issue. Interesting. So certain filming techniques appeared in the uh, in the James Bond film franchise for the first time in this movie. Slow motion, when Bond is knocked out in his bedroom. Mm. Flashback, Bond remembering Tracy being captured and breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Um, though it seems to be a self-referential remark, it is all, it also has a meaning in the context of the story, hmm. which I liked. Yeah. Um, the title was a corruption of a very familiar phrase known to most British people for many decades. All correspondence since sent from government departments, the tax office, social services, etc., arrived in envelopes which did not have a stamp but had the words on her uh, and is when there was a male monarch, Majesty's Service, printed on the envelope. Neat. Yep. And um, uh, one of our listeners uh, wrote in that same piece of trivia. Mm-hmm. Um, whose name I don't... David Wang? Yep. I think it was David yep. Wang. I'm pretty sure it in. was. Yeah. The motto Orbis Non Sufficit given to Bond when he researches his own coat of arms before impersonating Hillary Bray is Latin for The World Is Not Enough, which was used as a Bond movie title in 1999. Neat. Timothy Dalton was offered the part of James Bond, but turned it down feeling that at 22 he was too young oh, and relatively wow. inexperienced to take the role. Dalton played Bond in The Living Daylights in 87 and License to Kill in 89. Wow, 22. That is mm-hmm. really young. Oh, um, tell our listeners who uh, you would like to see play James Bond. You just told me this week. Do you remember? Mm-mm. Um, nope. Quentin Lance. Oh, uh, Paul Blackthorne from, <laughs> from Arrow. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's British or of some sort of <laughs> English-sounding language. Yeah, that would be cool. I'm down for that. Yeah, I'd be down <laughs> with it, obviously. <laughs> Uh, Ilsa Stepet's only English language role was as Irma Bunt in this movie. She was not able to enjoy her new success. She died of a heart attack less than a week after the release of the movie. Oh my gosh. The character of Irma Bunt was intended to return in the release, uh, sorry, in the next James Bond movie, uh, Diamonds Are Forever, but because of her death, she did not. Oh, wow. Connery was offered a then very large salary of $1 million to make this movie, but he declined. Jeez. Uh, the movie- $1 per- million? Dollars. That would have been one-seventh. Of the entire budget. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yep. That is a huge amount compared to the full budget. Uh, this movie performed admirably, outgrossing its nearest competitor almost two to one at the U.S. box mm-hmm. office, where according to Variety, it was the most popular movie in the world for all, four solid weeks. It generated enough rentals at the box office to claim ninth position on the box office chart for 1970. The persistent belief that it was a flop arises from its, early, from its earnings in comparison to the previous three Sean uh, Connery movies, all of which made more than $100 million worldwide, whereas this movie grossed $87 million worldwide. Um, yeah, so that's what I was talking about earlier, too. Yeah. Uh, Donald Pleasance was replaced as Ernst Stavro Blofeld because producer Albert R. Broccoli and director Peter R. Hunt felt he was unsuited to the more physical side of the role. Come on. Physical? What, a bobsled? (laughs) 
<laughs> yep. Uh, Lazenby said he experienced difficulties during shooting, not receiving any coaching despite his lack of acting experience, and with mm. director Peter R. Hunt never addressing him directly, only through his assistant. Lazenby also declared that Hunt also asked the rest of the crew to keep a distance from, from him, as Peter thought the more I was alone, the better I would be as James Bond. Oh my gosh. Yep. Uh, where ads for You Only Live Twice loudly touted Sean Connery is James Bond, the marketing for this movie downplayed the name of the replacement actor completely. This is the last time that the name of the actor playing Bond appears below the title, hmm. and in several of the ads for the movie, there is an image of a faceless Bond. Since George Lazenby was a virtual unknown when he was cast as Bond, initial teaser advertising for the movie emphasized the Bond character rather than the actor playing him. United Artists would later say that this marketing strategy was a mistake, which hurt the movie's performance at the box office. Hmm. Willie Bogner performed some spectacular skiing feats for the filming of chase sequences for this movie. The, these included skiing backwards downhill with a handheld camera, wow. sometimes placing it between his legs and being towed behind a bobsled wow. <laughs> along the course. Man, that's awesome. Someone should have filmed that. Yep. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> see, Lazenby or Bond tells Draco regarding Teresa or Tracy, her price is far above rubies or even your million pounds. The first six words are from Proverbs 3110, which describes a worthy woman. That's awesome. Yep. Uh, Adam West, a personal friend of, uh, of Albert Broccoli was offered the part of James Bond. West <gasps> said that he was very tempted, uh, but he ultimately turned it down feeling that the role should be played by an English actor. Oh, Adam. <clears throat> mm -hmm. That would have been interesting. That would have been. The I respect, sorry, I respect his reason for turning it down, though. Yeah. That, But that would have been great to see. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen it. Yeah. The sequence where James Bond finds Tracy waiting for him in his hotel suite has been used as an audition scene for actors trying for the role of James Bond. Huh. Just like when What's-Her-Face shows up in uh, in uh, From Russia with Love in, in his hotel room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> mm-hmm. This was once the longest Bond movie, at 2 hours and 22 minutes, holding the record for about 37 years, until the release of Casino Royale in 2006, which ran for about 2 to 4 minutes longer. Okay. Spectre then became the longest running Bond movie, running 4 minutes longer than Casino Royale. However, at 163 minutes, No Time to Die is now the longest running Bond movie <laughs> of all time. All right, well, this gives me a little bit of hope for the next several <clears throat> movies we, we are going yeah. to watch, at least. The, the next 37 years' worth of movies. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but the thing about, like, I don't know, for, but Casino Royale was was pretty great from what I remember. So, Good. yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, my throat is messed up, y'all. I don't know what's going on. Let me get a drink. <clears throat> Can I have some? Ah, bring your own. I did, but it's just water. You have soda. I have Diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> Ah, bring your own. Anticipate. <laughs> She's touching my face. I don't. <laughs> I I don't know if that look on her face is you are a cherub and I love you, <laughs> or if the look on her face is you will die swiftly this night. <laughs> No, the mm. look on my face was, I love you. Keep reading. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Let's continue. Fair enough. <laughs> Whew. This was originally going to be the fourth Bond movie. However, Thunderball was filmed instead after the ongoing rights dispute over the novel were settled between Fleming and McL McClory. Huh. It was due to follow that 
<clears throat> but problems with a warm Swiss winter and inadequate snow cover led to the producers postponing the movie again, favoring production of You Only Live Twice. Makes sense. Lazenby made only one James Bond movie, despite being offered a seven-movie contract. He made two appearances as Bond. This was the first. The second was in The Return of the Man from Uncle, the 15-years-later affair, where he helped Napoleon Solo, who was another Fleming uh, creation, and Ilya Nikovich uh, Kryakin, okay, (laughs) in a street fight from his car. Admittedly, he is uncredited as James Bond in favor of an abbreviation JB, mm. but his performance is so obviously bondish that it's impossible for him to not be James Bond. Mm. No, it's, it's possible. <laughs> All of the elements are there. A tuxedo, Walter PBK, cool clipped persona, and Aston Martin. Only the girl is missing. Mm. I think I might watch The Man from Uncle. I mean, if we can find it all, I'll watch it. Yeah. You know, one of the... Um, I don't know. I can't remember if I have this one or not. I'm looking over there and it's obscured by a Joker cup. But, uh, you know, they did um, a crossover with the man from Uncle. No, I don't think I have that one. I do. I, then I have it on my wish list. Mm. There's a, uh, the Batman is Batman 66 meets the man from Uncle. Neat. Crossover. Yeah. That's really cool. A comic book series in a trade paperback. I've got 66 meets the Green Hornet and... Yeah, they did a bunch of, of things. but mm-hmm. I really liked it when uh, The Punisher was in an issue of uh, Archie Comics. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, bu- 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 bu. During filming, by the way, that uh, Return of the Man from Uncle bit, uh, David Wang, I think, posted it on our Facebook group. Oh, cool. So you guys can go there and request membership and I'll let you in and you can see that. That's the kind of stuff you get in that group. <laughs> I'm just saying. During filming, George Lazenby was fooling around on horseback and caused Bernard Lee to fall into a fence and tear his leg open. Oh, jeez. That's the guy who played M. As no doctor was available, the local vets (gasps) dished up the gash. Oh, my gosh. They didn't have a... They didn't have a medic? Nah. Oh, jeez. Kevin McClory considered casting George Lazenby as James Bond and Never Say Never Again. Hmm. But Lazenby was dropped from consideration when Sean Connery confirmed that he wanted to do it. Well, okay. Peter R. Hunt originally wanted to direct You Only Live Twice, but when that assignment was given to Lewis Gilbert, he walked off the franchise and went on an around-the-world trip. Ironically, he was in Tokyo Hmm. when he bumped into Albert Broccoli and Gilbert, who were prepping You Only Live Twice. Broccoli asked Hunt to direct the second unit on that movie with the promise of directing this movie. Hmm. That's interesting. Which is, yeah, that's interesting because... Previously, other trivia has said that they were so impressed with his quicker edit of the last movie that they gave him this movie to direct. Mm. So, yeah, grain of salt. Who knows? <laughs> uh, between the resignation of of Connery at the beginning of filming You Only Live Twice and its release, producer Saltzman had planned to adapt The Man with the Golden Gun in Cambodia and use Sir Roger Moore as the next Bond, but political instability meant the location was ruled out and Moore signed up for another season of The Saint. Hmm. I like how, like, They've, they've, it's just like the same stable of guys they keep looking at. It's yeah. like, oh, we might do, you know, David Niven. No, we might do <laughs> Sean Connery. We might do, uh, Roger Moore there. Ain't nobody will believe him. He's a saint, you know. Can't do the saint. Uh, <laughs> how about Timothy Dalton? Yeah, we can. It's just been the same, like, group of guys, it seems like, forever. Yeah. Uh, Peter Hunt. Wanted to direct Diamonds Are Forever and would have. I actually talked about this, so I'll skip it. (laughs) 
Cameraman John Jordan developed a special helicopter harness for filming aerial shots of the mountain slopes and the action sequences. He hung 18 feet below the chopper from a large, round metal support apparatus. Oh, my gosh. No, thank you. No, sir. Um, Good on that. <laughs> this is the only James Bond movie where he goes to Portugal. Huh. And that's where Ian Fleming was inspired by Casino do Estoril to create Casino Royale. Neat. The first Bond novel. That's very cool. Uh, director Peter Hunt was reported to always enter the set carrying an annotated copy of the novel. This is the final time until For Your Eyes Only in 1981 that James Bond would be seen tossing his hat. He does it twice in this movie, the ritualistic one in Miss Moneypenny's office and again at the wedding ceremony to Miss mm-hmm. Moneypenny. Uh, there was originally a foot chase in this movie. Bond was to see one of Blofeld's henchmen spying on his meeting with Sir Hilary Bray and purse him across... I guess it's supposed to be pursue him across <laughs> the rooftops of London, eventually catching up to him and beating him to death. That sounds oh awesome. Gosh. Like, why can't they keep that chase oh, scene? Uh, due to time constraints and delays, it was never filmed. God, I'd love to see that. <laughs> According to a DVD documentary during filming, the producers wanted to know how George Lazenby looked in action. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I talked to you. I told you about this. Uh, Hunt, director Peter Hunt asked stunt arranger George Leach to test his action during the fight sequence. Lazenby fought with the stuntman for real. He had not learned how to withhold the punch and injured a Russian wrestler by bur- busting his nose open. Wow. The crew were impressed with the action sequence. <laughs> uh, John Barry opted to use <laughs> more electrical instruments and more aggressive sound in the music. He says, I have to stick my oar in the musical area double strong to make the audience try and forget that they don't have Sean to be Bondian beyond Bondian. Wow. Yep. For the cinematography, Peter Hunt aimed for a simple but glamorous like the 1950s Hollywood films I grew up with, as well as something realistic where the sets don't look like sets. Mm-hmm. I think he succeeded in that. Yes, I do too. Um, Plus, I want to live <clears throat> in the research institute. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> but not not the ski slopes part. I don't want to have no, to ride yeah. the thing up. I want it to be on the ground. Yeah. And in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't mind living in Switzerland. I Switzerland guess. is great. I just can't imagine there being a Walmart around. You know? <laughs> yep. We need the Walmarts. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and Chick-fil-A. Yep. Producer Albert Broccoli wanted to cast Jeremy Brett as James Bond after seeing him in My Fair Lady. Brett ultimately declined the role, saying, It's the sort of role you cannot afford to turn down, but I think it would have spoiled my life if I had got it. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Lazenby is the last Bond actor to perform the gun barrel sequence with a hat. Hmm. Although Diamonds Are Forever reused the gun barrel sequence from Thunderball and You Only Live Twice due to Sean Connery's return in the role, the sequence would soon be filmed with no hat when Roger Moore took over the role in Live and Let Die. Um, so the alternate title in China and Norway, 007 Sees the Snow Mountain Castle. <laughs> like that. That is awesome. While shooting, director Peter R. Hunt wanted the most interesting framings possible, which would also look good after being cropped for television. Talked about that a little bit. Uh, Bond's courtship of Tracy, as well as the mountain setting for much of the action, inspired elements of the first appearance of Ra's al Ghul in Batman's... Uh, in, in Batman comics, uh, in Daughter of the Demon from Batman 232, Ra's al Ghul kidnaps Robin in order to force Batman to help rescue his daughter Talia from kidnappers. The story's climax features a chase in the snow similar to that of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, albeit with the action move to the Himalayas. Um, 
this movie is also one of Dark Knight trilogy director Christopher Nolan's favorite films. Cool. And an admitted influence on the climactic battle in Inception. Huh. And I've got a piece of trivia. That's interesting. That I know. David Wayne asked me about it. David Wayne asked me about it. Oh, uh, yeah. The uh, Blo- Telly Sabalas as Blofeld inspired uh, Paul Dini and Bruce Timm to base uh, their version of Lex Luthor in Superman the Animated Series uh, the way they did. Like, Clancy Brown did the voice of, of, of that version. And it really is. It's just Telly Savalas as Blofeld in a lot of ways, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. Yeah, that's really cool. We got a little bit of listener feedback from last week. And by a little bit, I mean uh, five pages worth. <laughs> Watch out, Marvel Cinematic Woo! Universe podcast. Yeah. We're going to start doing hour and a half long episodes of just feedback. No, we're not. We're going to start cutting back on feedback. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So on Her Majesty's Secret Service, David Wang says... Uh, well, he mentioned Telly Savalas, so I just talked about that. And... Uh, he does want to know what you thought of uh, the Lex Luthor, because I told him I showed you. Oh, yeah, I could totally see the resemblance. Um, also, <clears throat> I sincerely mean this in a complimentary way. Congratulations to you, Dave, and to you, David, for being such nerds that you both knew that. <laughs> That's not an yeah. insult at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, That's awesome that you guys knew that. If you don't know, if you guys out there <laughs> don't know this, I do a show called DC on Screen. Um and David Wang listens to DC on screen and said, uh, do you know the thing that would, that really ties this show and DC on screen together? And, um, and I, I, I totally did. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that Lex yeah. Luthor was based on Telly Savalas. You were like, I mean, I don't really know what he could be talking about unless he's talking about the blah, 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 blah. And then you said that and David Wang was like, yep. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Lex Luthor in general. It's just the, ba- the, the, the Superman, the animated series version. Um, and he says, you'll probably find this in trivia yourself, but this is such a quaint fact that it bears repeating. On Her Majesty's Secret Service is the only Bond film that's both set entirely in Europe and filmed entirely in Europe. Uh, for your eyes, your eyes only came close. The plot was set in Britain, Italy, Albania, and Greece, but wow. the underwater diving scenes were filmed in the Bahamas. Uh, so yeah, no, I didn't include that in the trivia because, uh, I knew you had told us about it. So <laughs> there you go. That is and cool. there you be, as they say. Uh, Joe Fornerado says, why did they think these movies needed to be two hours and 20 minutes long? <laughs> They're not entertaining enough for that. And there is some good stuff in this one, but it's too slow. Ironically, the fights being sped up is obnoxious too. But if they weren't, it'd be two hours and 30 minutes. I agree. <laughs> I I have already said that toward the beginning of this episode. Yep. I I agree. And and mm-hmm. as you have heard, we both really liked this movie. We but did. yes, it was too long. Yep, it sure was. And I thought those fights being sped up looked pretty good, honestly. Like I thought they were they were better than the previous attempts to do such things. <laughs> Uh, Matthew Salvatore uh, at Pure Genius Lego. Matthew is awesome, by the way. Matthew's a you know a really great uh, listener and makes these cool little stop motion Lego animation films. Neat. Like so, yeah, go check go check him out. Pure Genius Lego uh, says your show is podcasting gold. Thanks. That's awesome. Uh, Matthew listens to uh, DC on screen as well. So cool. Well, thanks for listening to us, um, Matthew. Good fellow, that. I like uh, good gold. Fellow. 
Joe Fonorado again says, uh, at, at David C. Robertson talking to me on Twitter, be honest, are you regretting starting Breaking Bond? Because <laughs> the movies aren't good as I, ex- <laughs> as good as I expected. I'm enjoying the podcast way more than the movies. Thanks. That does um, not speak well of the movies. No. But thank you so much. Then he goes on, okay, so when I wrote that earlier, I had to stop about an hour into the movie. The final <laughs> hour and 20 minutes was excellent. I'm really disappointed we don't get another Lazenby movie now. Yes. <sighs> he says, it's slow at times, but I definitely enjoyed this particular one more than I expected. Yeah, I, cool. I agree. I agree. And that's cool that you watched On Her Majesty's Secret Service for the first time recently. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, over to You Only Live Twice. Uh, David Wang says, I wonder what Blofeld was saying in Japanese when he barked at the Japanese volcano tech guy and his cat was clawing at his arm. Okay. So I sent this clip to your sister, Christy, and was like, Mm -hmm. what is Blofeld saying in Japanese? She says, I listened over and over and it doesn't sound like actual Japanese unless maybe he's trying to say doko ni mo, which means nowhere. I don't know how that would make sense. No. She also asked if we had captions for it, and I didn't have captions for it. No. So that was where we left that conversation. <laughs> Poor kitty. Oh, uh, no. Poor sweet baby. Oh, for the record, let's go back to, uh, was it Joe Fornerado? Okay. His question, do you regret starting Breaking Bond? You did not answer that. I didn't? I don't think so. Oh, yes. No. <laughs> I I don't regret starting Breaking Bond. Yeah. I I think they have been better than I expected them to be. Yeah, I don't regret it at all. And um, for every bad movie we watch, that just puts us one step closer to watching better ones. I think so. <laughs> I hope like so. I'm, I'm really I'm looking forward to seeing um just for the sake of comparison, like just seeing how each different actor plays Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I'm really looking forward to Daniel Craig's movies just because they're the newest. So I feel like because they're the newest, surely they will be the best, right? Like Maybe. they that's how my brain is translating that. Because it will have the newest technology, it'll have the newest special effects technology, it'll have, like, eh. hopefully it'll be less sexist. Maybe. Um, I feel like hopefully the storylines will be better, maybe they're... I, I'm really hoping that they're going to break that formula at some point. I know I have... Well, they will largely break some of that in Casino Royale, I feel like. Yeah. But it's been 2006 since I've seen that, and also, you know, I've... I haven't kept up, but I, I know I've seen people complain on Twitter about someone getting fridged in one of the current ones. Hmm. Um, I don't care about that generally, though. <laughs> uh, if your protagonist is a man, yeah, someone, so, sometimes you gotta fridge a lady to advance <laughs> his character. And if the protagonist is a female, sometimes you gotta fridge a guy. Yeah. To pr- Look, have you ever seen Alias? Like, the- f- I haven't. Okay. Alias I'm is- sorry. I haven't seen Alias. <laughs> Except for the first episode. Okay. The first episode, like, she's a secret agent, and it's Jennifer Garner. I can't stand Jennifer Garner. I I can't stand her. But (laughs) the first episode, she has this, like, husband or fiancé or something, and she's, like, going to quit the thing, and then she, or maybe she is, I can't remember, but her husband or whatever gets killed. Like, they kill him, and that's, like, her whole character motivation Mm. is, like, this fridged husband. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't really care. I just don't. Like, I'm all for women being protagonists in movies and fridging men if you need to. It doesn't bother me. You know, if you, you got a, you got a person, fridge them. 
If you got, if if they have like, you know, if they, if you need to, if you need to motivate a character, and you don't know how to do it, killing somebody's a great way to motivate them. <laughs> just like, yeah, it's just like, like there's a um, there's a thing, in, there's like a trope in sitcoms. All right, where you kill off the parents. Mm-hmm. Party of five. Party of five. Um. I mean, what was it? Facts of Life? Didn't they do that? Weren't they, weren't they all like orphans or something? I don't or, think Facts of Life. Which did that. one was it? I think it? they were just at a boarding school. Oh, for that was one. It? What was the What was the one where everybody was had were, were like orphans and they were with that redheaded lady or I, I don't know, different strokes maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. But there are lots of sitcoms where the parents are dead. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I, I the first thing that came to mind was Hogan Family. But that started off as Valerie, and that doesn't count because it started out with both parents, and then there was this contract dispute, and they were like, mm. uh, Valerie Bertinelli or whatever her name was, was like, you can't do the show without me, and they were like, watch me. Yikes. <laughs> Uh, and the show went for like, they're like, we'll get Sandy Duncan, and we still got Jason Bateman, so that's the guy. Uh, anyway. <laughs> It wasn't Valley Bertinelli. Bert, Bertinelli. I can't say that name either. It wasn't her, I don't think. It was um, oh, Lady from Rhoda. Like Rhoda? Yeah. Oh. What I'll, is her name? I'll look it up. But... Okay. Anyway, the reason I'm going off on tangents, the reason that they start shows off by with parents being dead, mothers or fathers or parents, full house. Oh, Valerie Harper. Harper. That was the name I was trying yeah. to find. Harper. Oh, yeah. Full House and Fuller yeah. House. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, but the reason they do that is because to get an audience to like the protagonist, you have to start them out in a position where the protagonist has gone through, has experienced and survived the audience's greatest fear. Mm. The death of a parent is one of the greatest fears yeah. uh, that, that people have. So... It, it makes the protagonist instantly more likable. Yeah. Shows that do that are instantly more, way, much more likely to succeed mm-hmm. on in the long run. So. Plus you get, um, like emotions involved. Just yeah. Right at the start. I mean, especially with Party of Five. And I'm just, I'm just naming that one because I watched that entire series a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it's sort of fresh. But yeah. yeah, I mean, like, it starts out with, like, uh, Charlie, or as we like to call him, God, Charlie! Um, <laughs> the, the oldest sibling just, like, seriously struggling to take care of the rest of his brothers and sisters. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, like, you just, and, and they're all, still mourning the loss of their parents. I think it mm-hmm. happened pretty recently when the show starts. Yeah. So, like, they're, none of them are over it yet. Yeah. They're just trying to, like, the writers and producers are trying to manipulate you emotionally. Yeah. To get your money. To they get your it. get your viewership. They got it. And then throughout yeah. throughout the entire rest of the series, what, I think it was, like, five seasons long? Yeah. Um, And then, then that also sets up a storyline where... That is something they can always refer back to throughout the entire series, especially because all of the kids were so young when it happened. It's going to affect each of them differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, for uh, Claudia and Julia, you know, they can always say things like, 
maybe that's why Julia has certain relationships that don't work out very well because she misses her dad so much mm -hmm. that she just needs some kind of male presence in her life. Right. So, yeah, that I understand that. Like, yeah, that, I remember her being a gold digger. <laughs> what? She wasn't a gold digger. She was just like, I need presents from males. Oh, I need presents no. from males. Ah. You did that thing with the word. Yep. Got it. I sure did. Got it. But anyway, I mean, you look at like the Death Wish movies. It's just like there are like whole, you know, cemeteries in that universe that are just like the. And they don't even have gravestones. They just have refrigerators. Wow. Because the, everybody that, the, that Charles Bronson comes into contact with is like has to be murdered so he can wow. go on some sort of killing spree. <laughs> They're not even trying by the end of the series. It's like you know when his third cousin's neighbor's dog gets, <laughs> gets hit by a mafia car <laughs> oh and uh i just just recently like as of yesterday finished the entire series of monk all eight seasons mm -hmm. and, yep i mean anyone who has watched any monk yep, not trudy. even the whole show yeah you know that trudy uh monk's late wife is heavily heavily involved in that show mm -hmm. i mean just about every episode he mentions trudy and her death was even more significant than when she was alive i think like he he just um yeah, yeah that just impacts him so 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 much yep and, and it makes us sympathetic towards him yep and she I, I believe when the show starts she had died four years prior to mm -hmm. the pilot so it wasn't like a super recent thing but she had already she had already been killed a few years before yeah anyway anyway all right thank you for pointing it now uh david wang says bethany a uh, bit of feedback I'm surprised that wasn't read aloud on air, which I don't remember this feedback showing up anywhere else. I'm sorry. Uh, what do you, David, and your sister make of those camera footage of the helicopter picking up the car with a magnet and later the rocket footage, both achievable in-universe only by floating cameras, in air and in outer space? The final self-destruct moment was the censure for me. They're making a lot of outer space footage already, so why don't they... Uh, mount the cameras on Spectre's Bird 1 rocket, filming the American rocket they intend to swallow up, then have the rocket explode in space and cut back to Bond in the room and the camera feed gone static because it all blew up. Um, yeah, I didn't notice, honestly, that, like, there was actually no way for us to be, like, they didn't, there was no way for them to have had cameras where they were, <laughs> like, stationed where the, how, with the angle and stuff, so it would have to be fake. Um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm a dullard. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dullard. I didn't notice. But I do notice stuff like in like Star Trek 3 where it's like they go to like look at the security footage and it's like perfect. Like the just like the automatic security cameras. Like, just know how to do perfect cinematography from <laughs> Wrath of Khan, you know? And it's like, oh, look, they're cutting between, like, they're it's cutting to, like, sequentially tell a story. Like, <laughs> those are really sophisticated security cameras. That's some, that's a really dope AI that the Enterprise <laughs> computers, the security cameras have got. Yeah. All right. Um, Br Brett 
says, one thing nobody notices about this film, wouldn't it make more sense to steal space capsules from just one country? Then it looks a lot less obvious than it's a, that it's a third party. Just steal the American ones. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. And I know that you and David and some other people had a whole conversation about this. And my feeling is generally that some of these James Bond movies feel a little bloated. Like they just want to make it compl- more complicated than it needs to be. Hmm. But, you know, I guess, yeah, Spectre did want to just take over everything. So, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, over to Casino Royale 67, Sherman Smith says, uh, just heard the Casino Royale spoof episode. This comedy was the worst comedy I've seen since <laughs> Soul Plane. <laughs> So plain. <laughs> I never, I never saw Soul Plane myself. Me either. Um, never made it to that one. The the trailer made, oh, made me want to die a little bit. <laughs> it was just so bad, and uh, yeah, I I don't know. He says, looking forward to bigger and better things, though. God, I hope so. Yeah. Honor Majesty's Secret Service is pretty great. I mean, everything has been better than Casino Royale. Now I kind of want to watch Soul Plane to see if it's better. Maybe just watch a trailer. And I've seen the trailer. I know it looks bad. (laughs) I know it looks bad. Um, Anyway, over to Thunderball. uh, Kyoki Young says, Thanks for inviting me to the group. I've been enjoying the podcast to which I came from the Star Trek Universe podcast. Hey, that's mine too. <laughs> Having come from the MCU podcast, that's not mine. It's, inter- <laughs> it's interesting for me to hear opinions about the Bond films from new viewers as I've been watching them faithfully since childhood. Though Thunderball is not necessarily one of my favorites, I felt your review of it was a bit harsh. Like any movie so old, it's best considered in the context of its time. Cinema pacing has sped up markedly in the past several decades. The original Star Wars, for example, seems somewhat slow these days. When it was first released, however, it was quite thrilling and a smash hit, not unlike Thunderball. As for the now tedious underwater scenes, keep in mind that Thunderball introduced underwater cameras to the mainstream, so for many viewers, it was their first experience seeing underwater video footage. Understandably, then, the filmmakers wanted to showcase as much of the expensive new technology as possible. I concede that Thunderball may not have aged well, although, uh, sorry, along with the sexism of the early Bonds, but when regarded as a piece of cinema history, I feel it's not all that bad. In any case, thanks for the podcast. Thanks for writing in, man. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I know old cinema uh, is slower paced, but I don't think that's the issue necessarily. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Citizen Kane is one of my favorite movies of all time. Cool Hand Luke is one of my favorite movies of all time. No Time for Sergeants. Like, I, you could, if you came to my house, you would see several black and white Blu-rays and DVDs on my shelf, um, including what you refer to uh, Star Trek: The Motionless Picture. So, uh, and that's not black and white, but it is very, very slow, but I like it a lot. I don't mind the slow pacing of that film necessarily. So, um, I don't think that's the problem. I think it's just the, the underwater sequences. Like I couldn't tell what was going on. And to be fair, if I can't tell really what's going on, it bores the crap out of me. Yeah. And a perfect example of something that's like super modern and super fast paced. And I just can't tell what's going on and I'm super bored by it. The Transformers movies. Because <laughs> when they're all transforming and shifting around and fighting, I'm just like, it just looks like piles of robot 
poop <laughs> hitting each other. And I don't, it's just it's like undulating metal crap. <laughs> I don't know what it means. So in that, in that vein, I'm like, I don't need 10 minutes of like completely covered up scuba people, like slowly swimming around, moving around pieces of machinery that I don't understand and swimming past, you know, freaking coral nets or something. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't care. And I don't, <laughs> it's not the pacing, man. It's not. It, yeah. It, I mean, it was a little bit, but it's also just boring. Yeah. I mean, and like, <laughs> congratulations. Congratulations to, um, the crew for, um, using underwater cameras and for doing things that were new. Yeah. And like groundbreaking for the time. Mm -hmm. That's, that's awesome. Um, perhaps if we had watched this in the 60s, it would have blown our minds more. Well, maybe, but there were several, you can find several contemporary podcasts, uh, not podcasts, uh, it's contemporary reviews mm -hmm. that complained about the underwater sequences being very, very slow yeah. and nonsensical because you can't tell who is who. Yeah. It's just like a bunch of people in scuba gear and, shooting harpoons at each other. And because it's underwater, it feels like it's slow motion. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> I I know. I don't mean to be a uh, a philistine or or you know I'm not one of these people who's like it has to be modern or I can't watch it. That's absolutely not true of me. Um, I love slow paced stuff. Like I love it. I could, I don't mind it at all. Like I've often said. Do we have to have so much fighting in these movies? Can't we do dinner with Andre instead? Where it's just like two characters sitting around talking about philosophy or something. Or not even philosophy. Dating. You know, or, you know, a, a movie, a fictional movie that they both saw. I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, pop culture maven at pop culture czar on Twitter says, I have heard the Thunderball podcast. From what I remember, the remake was better. So you have that to look forward to. Maybe. I hope so. Maybe. What year was the remake? 83. Okay. Well, I mean, I love the 80s, like almost unconditionally. Uh huh. Well, I, I have what I have to look forward to. And I feel somewhat bad for saying this. Somewhat, uh, I don't know why. I'm, I feel like I've been trained to feel this way. But one thing I'm looking forward to in that movie is Kim Basinger being the Bond girl. Hmm. Because, uh, you know, she was Vicki Vale when I was six years old in mm. uh, in the first Batman, the 89 Aww. Batman movie. And she may have jump-started puberty for me a little bit. Yowza. Like, I was a kid and I was just going, hey! Well, so. you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. <laughs> Oh, that doesn't work for that. <laughs> Ew. Ew. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure, like, uh, I know a lot of people like to ask the question of who was your first celebrity crush? Yeah. And things like that. I, I would have to think for a while who mine was. Because right. I feel like I was different from a lot of, uh, normal people mm -hmm. uh like i mean i can i can remember just being five or six years old and just like literally having a crush on every male yeah just like <laughs> like in my life not just celebrity wise just like uh like my mom's best friend's husband mm -hmm. craig who was a pilot totally had a crush on that guy 
And I mean, like, I just had a crush. Like, uh, I have a crush on every boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really, from, uh, I don't remember those skits. I know it was from Strong Bad. I don't yeah, remember the name the, of those uh, Teen Girl Squad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really did. So I know, like, the most common thing from um, my generation is to say Uncle Jesse. I for sure had a crush on Uncle Jesse. Mm. But, I mean, I don't think he was my first. But anyway. Yeah, see, I don't, I was not, I was six years old, so I was not in a, I was not in any capacity, uh, really crushing. Yeah. I just felt weird. Yeah. I didn't know what it meant. I was just like, this feels weird. And it doesn't help that Batman 89 has some freaking weird dialogue that, yeah. like, when I was a kid, I thought it meant something dirty, and then it just, <laughs> and then it turns out it doesn't mean anything at all. <laughs> it was just weird. Like, there was, like, you know, uh, a bit where Joker looks at the picture of, of Vicky Vale and he goes, I'm of a mind to make some Mookie. <laughs> what does that mean? I thought it meant something really dirty when yeah, I was a kid. It sounds like it could be dirty. And then now I'm just like, no, that still doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I not well, to my knowledge. <laughs> and I figured like, I actually excitedly listened to the Fat Man on Batman with Kevin Smith, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where they were talking about Batman 89. I'm, like, I'm going to, f- because if anybody knows what the dirty thing means, it's going to be Kevin Smith. Oh, and, yep. and he was like, what does that mean? And I was like, <laughs> thank you. Okay. It wasn't just me. I, nobody knows what that means. Um, so there were just like weird little things. And, uh, but, there was something like I knew I liked her hair and you know, certain yeah. things she did made me feel weird and uncomfortable. Yeah. And then I like later I'm like, Oh, cause I thought she was hot. <laughs> well, I, uh, just within the last couple of days, listened to um, an episode of Ear Biscuits. That's uh Rhett and Link from good mythical morning. That's uh-huh. their podcast. Um, and they were both talking about their first, celebrity crush and uh link said that his first celebrity crush do you remember the i have never watched this but i've seen enough youtube videos and like commentary lists and stuff that mentioned an 80s sitcom called small wonder where the lead role the daughter was a robot no i don't remember that at all that was link's first celebrity crush not the girl who played the robot the robot girl like the character oh. <laughs> was a robot. And I just think that is so awesome and precious. That is so amazing. That's weird, man. <laughs> God bless him for admitting that. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I love it. Those guys have made fools of themselves several times. <laughs> I doubt that's anything. Like, I love it so much. I really gotta. I'm just... also a laugh whore. I would say that for a laugh. <laughs> and. It really, it's going to bug me. I'm like seriously going to have to think about who my first celebrity crushes were. Mm-hmm. I know this just doesn't really have anything to do with James Bond. No, it doesn't. <laughs> or on Her Majesty's Secret Service. We've gone onto a, a weird uh, rabbit trail here, but yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'd, I feel like I want to think about that and think about who my first celebrity crushes were. I mean, I can remember... I can remember things that I watched, I guess, maybe in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I definitely watched all of the, like, TGIF shows. Um, Full House. Definitely watched Family Matters, Step by Step, Perfect Strangers. Right. All of those things. 
don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, I know. I totally had a crush on Sam from Clarissa Explains It All. Ugh, that guy was gross. <laughs> I really liked Sam. Oh, I really, really liked. See, a lot of it for me was like the haircut, and uh-huh. I will, I will describe a couple of guys so you'll kind of understand. I don't know what that he haircut. had an awful bowl cut. Yeah, I, I loved his hair. I Ugh. loved his style. And that that is still true to, like, who I am today. It's really weird, but, like, one of the styles that I won't necessarily say I find attractive, it just has a weird, like, chemical connection with me where I'm just like, oh, well, he kind of looks like a hobo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that explains me. <laughs> um. Okay, yeah, so it was Sam. I absolutely had a crush on... um. I don't remember his name. The guy from Erie, Indiana, who was also the main guy in Hocus Pocus. Okay. Definitely had a crush on him. The guy, this was like season one, not like the next dimension or whatever, right? Oh, yeah. Nobody even watched that. Um, (laughs) I did. (laughs) I I mean, I've watched it also. I was like, alternate reality sequel series? Yes, please. And it was terrible. It was terrible, but still, I watched it. Again, like... Similar haircut. Um, I didn't really... He did not have a similar haircut to Sam. Well, it's also like the kind of like uh, Sean Hunter from Boy Meets World. I didn't really have a crush. The kid from Erie, Indiana had total like... Totally had like a John Cusack high fidelity haircut. Yeah. Like Sean Hunter had like, let me part my hair down the middle and look like a doofus with a helmet head. (laughs) Uh, Oh. And Sam from Clarissa had like mushroom head okay uh the guy who i'm talking about from erie indiana and hocus pocus is omri cats okay um because i'm sure there are just thousands of people at this point who heard his name and went oh yeah but see what i'm (laughs) anyway what i'm hearing though from you you're like yeah they had they had the similar hair i'm like no they just had hair but I like those are totally different. I like the kind of like longer to... hair where they're they, they didn't really have bangs, but it was just like the side of their hair was like kind of in their face a little. You're bit. talking about like, you're talking about Eric Matthews hair. Oh yeah, totally, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm not you know as much as Boy Meets World as much as I love that show. I mean, it's like definitely one of my top ten favorite shows of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I ever had a crush on anyone in that show. I just absolutely loved that show. But yes, absolutely the Eric Matthews haircut. Yeah. That that is what usually uh made like made me have a crush on someone. Yep. Anyway. All right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Whew. What now? Next episode we'll be discussing 1971's <laughs> Diamonds Are Forever, starring Sean Connery as James Bond, Jill St. John as Tiffany Case, Charles Gray as Blofeld. <laughs> Another Blofeld. Is this the third person? I don't know anymore. At least? I don't know anymore. Jimmy Dean as Willard White. Yeah, that's the sausage guy, Jimmy Dean. I looked it up. He was, You know, he was a musician back then. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, Jimmy Dean. Wow. Willard White there. Bruce Glover and Butter Smith is Mr. Went and Mr. Kid. This one's going to be directed by Guy, Guy Hamilton, the guy that did Goldfinger. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Do you know where this takes place? I don't. I wonder. Wait. Don't worry, guys. I'll look that up. Mm. Keep going. I'm, the next line is literally <laughs> the last line of the show. 
I've got to I've got to close the show out. So okay, well, look up the thing. Rest assured, audience, I will look it up. <laughs> you want me to close it out without telling them? Sure. All right. Until next time, diamonds may be forever, but hopefully we'll release the next episode sooner than that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. It's in Las Vegas. Oh, I don't want Las Vegas. <laughs> it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> we just saw Switzerland, man. I don't want to see casinos again and slot machines. I don't want to watch Doodle Royale. <laughs> I don't think it'll be the same. <sighs> I hope not. I mean, it's probably... I don't know. Maybe it's different for us because we live in America. I just don't like gambling. And I'm just it's so like, boring. I'm just like, oh my gosh. So much stuff takes place in Vegas. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe it'll be different because it's Vegas in the early 70s. All a bunch of gambling and heists and crap. You can contact us by email at davidcroberson at gmail.com or on Twitter. I tweet at David C. Robertson. Breaking Bond is a production of Maladjusted Media in association with Stranded Panda, a refuge for a rare breed of geek. Visit strandedpanda.com to check out more content from us and our friends. For more from Maladjusted Media, including podcasts, sketch comedy videos, short films, web series, and more, visit maladjusted.tv. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.